Hi everyone, welcome to the April 13th edition of the Timeform US Pacecast. I'm David Aragon and I'll be joined in just a moment by my usual co-host Craig Mulkowski. Well, this week on the podcast, we're going to take a look back at the final couple of derby preps that were run last weekend. Uh, the main event out of those two was obviously the Grade 1 Arkansas Derby, the final 100-point uh, prep for the Kentucky Derby that was run on April 10th. And uh, I'm not sure that it provided a whole lot of clarity with regard to how that field is going to shape up with regard to who's going to be favored in that race, because a lot of people were expecting Concert Tour to cement himself as one of the favorites for the Kentucky Derby. He didn't quite do that. We'll talk about the upset in that race in a little bit, uh, but it's a really confusing, wide open picture moving on to Churchill Downs. So we'll talk about that a little bit after we re- recap the Arkansas Derby. The other prep was the Lexington at Keeneland. We'll talk about the other stakes races that took place at both of those venues on Saturday and some other days last week. And they also ran a couple of grade ones at Keeneland last week, the Makers Mark and the Jenny Wiley on the turf. Then we'll finish things up at Aqueduct, where there were some notable performances in stakes races, some turf horses making the returns for the Chad Brown Barn and an impressive maiden winner at Aqueduct as well. So, Craig, let's start things off with that Arkansas Derby, since that's the race that most people had their eyes trained on last Saturday. And uh, not the result that a lot of people were expecting as Superstock upset this race at 12 to 1. It was a race that featured a very fast pace, and Superstock certainly got the trip. But I think it's fair to say that the performances of the two favorites were still a little disappointing. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it was a race that it played out kind of as most people expected. I don't think anybody thought Caddo River was going to take back like he did last time. And he took it to the favorite concert tour. And I guess I would say the only real difference is uh, they didn't win the race because speed figure wise, they both ran the same or in Caddo uh, River's case, a better race. They just kind of set it up because they dueled each other in defeat. Uh, Super super Stock sat right behind them, sat a dream trip, and was able to take advantage. So in retrospect, I mean, I guess it's not that shocking of an upset, though I wanted no parts of betting against Concert Tour personally. But a lately raced three-year-old like Super Stock, I think this was only his second start of the year, was eligible to improve, and he did so. Uh, I do think the trip helped him out quite a bit. I'm not even sure he was the best horse in the race. Certainly not to the two-and-a-half length margin that he won, but... He got a 116 time for him U.S. speed figure, and with a step forward, he would be a contender on Derby Day. This is not a race where I would make too much of the difference in speed figures between Superstock and Cattle River and Concert Tour. I know that Cattle River and Concert Tour got bigger pace upgrades, but this was not the kind of situation that we're going to talk about in the Lexington, where the race featured a fast pace and was dominated by closers. Superstock was never more than two lengths behind Cattle River and Concert Tour at any point in the race, so he was running some pretty fast pace figures in the early part of the race as well, and he just finished a lot stronger than those two runners. I mean, it wasn't like it was close. He drew away by two and a half lengths at the end of this race and Concert Tour actually got the lead over Caddo River in mid-stretch and looked like he was en route to victory when they passed the 316th pole but he just really hit a wall in the final eighth and I've got to say Concert Tour feels like a horse to me that I think is being exposed as just a pure miler he, he just does not seem like a classic distance kind of horse and that was a little bit disguised in the Rebel 2 back when he got to set a much more moderate pace without being challenged by Caddo River and he just galloped away from that field in the stretch in a race where nobody really did any closing. But I think in a more taxing situation from a pace standpoint, you're going to find the concert tour does not want to go these longer distances. His pedigree kind of corroborates that as well. So they're going to press on to Kentucky probably with all three of these runners. I'm just not sure that I view this as one of the strongest prep races that we've seen. Yeah, I would agree with that. And don't get me wrong. Uh, there wasn't a huge pace upgrade. I mean, Superstock got some pace upgrade as well of three points. The final time for this uh, race was only a 113, but all the fractions are coded in red. Uh, I just look at it as he got a great trip. I mean, despite being close, that my favorite trip as a pace guy is a lone lead on, on a moderate to, to easy pace. And the second favorite one is a horse sitting behind dueling leaders. So I, I'm going to downgrade this one a little bit. They all wound up with similar speed figures. Caddo River, a 117, Superstock, and Concert Tour, who were just a nose apart. Or Concert Tour was just a nose behind Caddo uh, River, also got a 116 like the winner. 
But I've got no no argument with you. I don't think Caddo River or Concert Tour wants much part of a, a mile and a quarter. And I did see some rumblings this morning that Bob Baffert wasn't very committal to going to Kentucky. We'll see how that plays out. We, we've seen trainers do that before, but oftentimes the, the lure of just running in the derby proves too much. Yeah, it feels like if Connections ever had an excuse to take a shot in the Kentucky Derby, this is the year that they probably have one because the race is so wide open. I mean, Essential Quality, I think, has cemented himself as the clear-cut favorite for this race, just based on his overall body of work and consistency. I don't think anybody disputes that. But beyond him, it's a lot of horses that have either just run one big figure or they've run a lot of figures that are just in that mid-one-teens range, kind of like this Arkansas Derby, which got a 116. Uh, just nobody really standing out. I was tweeting last night, this is the year that actually reminds me a lot of 2013 when you didn't really have horses running fast speed figures going in. I think that year, Golden Sense had gotten a big number in the Santa Anita Derby, and I think It's My Lucky Day had run a really big number in one of those early season preps at Gulfstream back in January, but most horses weren't breaking 120 on the Timeform US speed figure scale, uh, and this is very similar to that, so maybe somebody's going to step up on the first Saturday in May, but it feels like it's going to be a really competitive derby. Yeah, it's one I'm definitely looking forward to. It's quite the puzzle as handicappers. We'll see more as the field takes shape. Uh, Always we get a couple defections and a couple more get added back in, you know, added from the lower ends of the points list. And there's actually one that's not eligible yet that I'm a bit interested in, but we'll save that for another day when we do our derby preview. Yeah, we'll talk about the other Derby prep run uh, this week in the Lexington later, though I think it's that one's unlikely to have any implications on uh, that uh, big race at Churchill Downs because none of the horses coming out of that race are expected to point for the Derby. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Right now, let's finish up the action from Oaklawn Park last weekend. We'll talk about a couple other stakes races that were run on that Saturday card. The other graded stakes race run before the Arkansas Derby was the grade three count fleet going six furlongs for the older horses. And Craig, it seems like season Rocket has Whitmore's number, at least right now. This was his second consecutive stakes victory over Whitmore in 2021. Obviously, Whitmore beat CZ Rocket in the Breeders' Cup sprint last year, but since CZ Rocket's been claimed by Peter Miller, that Breeders' Cup has been his only loss in eight starts for the Miller Barn. He's won seven of his last eight and just seems to be in great form right now. Yeah, and a little bit scary for his foes is this was the best speed figure he's run, so he seems to be getting better. Uh, he got a 121 for the win. Whitmore ran his usual 119, a solid race, but I think it was pretty clear CZ Rocket was the better horse. Uh, what I do find interesting about him is how he's adopted more of a closing style. Uh, I know we had talked about maybe he would be closer up this time than Whitmore and give him a target, but this year he seems to be dropping further off the pace, and it wasn't like the pace was supersonic. It was solid enough, but nothing too crazy, and he just seems to gobble him up late. So I do like for him this change in running style. It seems to be good. Uh, Whitmore... I don't want to say he's lost a step because he hasn't. He's basically running the same speed figures even at eight years old. So he's going to be a threat going forward. And the one other horse I'm interested in coming out of this is Empire of Gold. Just because this was his first race off a layoff, he didn't get his preferred running style up near the front. And I thought he still ran a a pretty decent race to only be a length and a half behind Whitmore. So I'm looking forward to seeing what these guys can do. Uh, Not much behind those three. Uh, I was really disappointed disappointed no parole he didn't run much at all in this spot so those three for me but yeah cz rocket i guess is right at the top of the division after this one yeah, it's funny. We were talking about the tactics that could be employed in this race on the forecast last week because in the Hot Springs, Whitmore had made the first move and CZ Rocket had made the last move and run over him in the final stages of that race. Well, this time, CZ Rocket, he was again moving outside, but he actually got the jump on Whitmore because Ricardo Santana elected to stay inside coming around the far turn. And it looked like Santana was trying to work out the same trip that Irad did in the Breeders' Cup sprint last year. Didn't work out quite as well as it did for Irad Ortiz in that race because Whitmore had to wait a, probably a little bit too long down inside. I don't think, though, that the difference in trips made uh, would make up for the margin of victory that uh, CZ Rocket won by because he was clearly best in this race. And even when Whitmore got clear at the 316th ball, he just didn't have that explosive turn of foot that we've sometimes seen from Whitmore in the past. So right now, it just seems like CZ Rocket is doing a little bit better than Whitmore. But uh, it'll be nice to see these two match up again in the future because there's a nice little rivalry going. 
Another stakes race that was run at Oaklawn Park on Saturday was the Oaklawn Mile. Ungraded stakes race, but a big pot, $400,000 for these older runners going a mile. And this was a pretty exciting run down to the wire in the short stretch at Oaklawn, as by my standards, just got his nose down in the wire first ahead of Rushy. Uh, Joel Rosario, who was riding Rushy, looked like he might have misjudged the finish line because it seemed like he was riding out a ways after the wire uh, to the second finish line. But by my standards, he obviously lost more ground around the turns and was just a little bit better than Rushy on this occasion. Yeah, it was interesting seeing that, and the jockeys were kind of joking about it a little bit afterwards. I guess uh, maybe Saez leaned over and told Joel that, that the race was already over or something, but I, I don't think that actually affected anything because uh, Rushy had a clear lead, was getting hard-ridden, and still got run down by, I have to say, the scantest of noses. Uh, but what I find interesting in here is it's just uncanny how by my standards keeps finding these races that have absolutely no pace in them. To his credit, he did adjust quite a bit. He was off the pace a little bit further than he normally is, not in terms of lengths, but in terms of positions. I don't think he was ever more than about two lengths back, but we have most of the fractions coded in blue. He was able to get the job done. I will say final time wise, this was a slow race. We only have it as a 108 time form US speed figure, but the pace was, was just so slow that it was one of those where we're given a pace upgrade. He gets a 118, Rushy a 117 for his runner up effort. And it's just one you, you just gotta kinda do the best you can with it because time wise, there's no way I'm gonna rate these horses on the final time we've talked about this many times we give you the final time figure we so that you can see it but there's no way that that these horses are that bad that they ran 108 and i don't want people seeing that in the pps next time and automatically thinking oh let's just bet against this horse because he's slow yeah, it was a race where it was expected to feature a fast pace. We talked about it on the forecast last week. Uh, I'm sure that the pace projector was predicting a fast pace in this race. Um, there were plenty of speed signed on, and most of them just didn't go. It's like, uh, I don't know what gets in these riders' heads where they decide to raid horses. I will say Wells Bayou, who was expected to be in front, he did not break well in this race. He actually it looked like he hit the gate uh, leaning in, coming out of the starting gate. So that's why he was last in the early go. But still, he's made two starts now as a four-year-old, and he has not had the gate speed that he had as a three-year-old. Uh, he didn't make the lead over Blackberry Wine when they faced off at fairgrounds earlier this year, so I'd be a little careful with Wells Bayou moving forward. Some might say that he got a poor trip in this race because of that trouble at the gate. I'm worried that that's just an issue for him now as a four-year-old, so I'm not sure that I'd expect him to show the speed that he once did moving forward. As for Blackberry Wine... I mean, I, I I don't know what his rider was thinking. Uh, he came out of the gate with the clear plan to rate this horse. He made no attempt to get to the front end. And Blackberry Wine is a horse that is fast enough to make the lead when they go slowly up front, even when they're going quickly up front. He said fast paces had been successful before. So I don't know what was up with that ride. And it obviously was not successful for that horse. Um, but by my standards, as you said, Craig, I mean, we thought he'd have to come from a lot farther back in this race, but he got his usual stalking trip, and it was a successful trip. Uh, he was a little wide around both turns, but he still got that unencumbered run into the race, which I think is what he wants. And Rushy, I mean, he ran fine, uh, I, but I thought he had his chance. He saved the ground, came through under Joel, and was just second best in this race. Yeah, I will add, I, I did see a lot of people saying how much the best by my standards was because of all the ground loss he had, but I would counter when the pace is this slow, the ground loss just doesn't really matter. It's uh, I've used the analogy before where if you and I go walk around the track and you walk around the inside and I walk around the outside, I can keep up pretty easily. Yeah, I got to spend a little more effort, but it's not going to take a toll if we decide to sprint the last hundred yards. So it's one of those things you got to be careful with ground loss because when the pace is slow, it just doesn't matter very much in my opinion. Well, speaking of those slow paces, that was also an issue in the carousel, which was run a little earlier on that Saturday card at Oakland, this one going six furlongs for the Phillies and Mares. And many of us expected this to be a real showdown between Edgeway and Frank's Rocket, both Phillies with plenty of early speed. Uh, their riders decided not to use that early speed in this race, though, as somehow Wildwood's Beauty, who's not even a front runner, got the first call in front in this race. I I'm still scratching my head as to how that happened. Uh, but Frank's Rocket, I think her connection 
connections. They, they made a miscalculation here. I was watching the America's Day at the Races show, and her connections were saying before the race that they did not want to see her on the front end. I'm just not sure why you would make that determination before the race when there's not a whole lot of speed signed on in the first place. And Edgeway, who's a good filly, she just got the jump on Frank's Raquette, and that one could never get near her. Yeah, maybe that would explain the betting. I, I almost always watch the uh, America's Day at the racing, but with different tracks going on Saturday, I, I was watching via RTN. And Edgeway really got pounded very, very late in the wagering. Uh, I know because I bet her, I, I really liked her in this spot. But she wound up going from, I think, 2-1 to one to 6-5 to five at the last second. And maybe people heard that Frank's Rocket was going to rate and give away the obvious advantage she had, which... I'll never understand. Uh, uh, it, it seems like it was a perfect spot for her to go to the lead. I, I don't get it personally. And I guess I never will because it seems to be a trend in racing where people seem to think speed is some kind of bad thing where the stats don't show that at all, especially on dirt. So uh, I don't get it. These horses, I mean, they're they're decent fillies. I, I'm one who's long said I think Frank's Rockette is way overrated. Uh her and the winner both got 115 time form U.S. speed figures here. That was one that's a little bit upgraded because of the pace. Uh, the final time was actually 115.2, but we normally punish these horses for a slow pace. But the pace was just so slow, it would have knocked down all the top runners in the field way below what would have been expected. So another tough race to make a speed figure for because of just a crawling pace. Yeah, and you make a good a good point. I mean, Edgeway, she is a nice horse, um, and she got the jump on Frank's Ruckhead, obviously. It would have been nice to see a real speed showdown between these two, because they both have a lot more early speed than they showed here. Um, Frank's Ruckhead, though, you're right, she's just never run that fast, and while I don't blame you for knocking up this speed figure a little bit, because it would have just come back a little bit too slow if we had made that typical pace adjustment downwards, uh, but I'm just not sure how good these horses really are. This was an ungraded stakes race and obviously these are runners that might be getting considered for a race like the Derby City Distaff at Churchill Downs. I'm sure nobody wants to face Gamine in a race like that uh, but uh, I think we do have to stress that these horses with the speed figures that they ran in this race and what they've been running beforehand they're just not in the same league with uh, a horse like that when she's running speed figures that are touching 130 so um, they'd have to improve quite a bit. I will say though the horse that might have run best in here is actually the third place finisher casual because she She's a closing sprinter, and she really uh, was going to be most co poorly compromised by the pace in this race, and she was running on really well at the end. She was actually making some inroads into Edgeway's lead in the stretch, and when she gets in a race with a little more pace, she's one that could take a step forward. Yeah, I'd agree with that. This is uh, two times in a row where she's been in a race with very little speed, and last time she ran second to Kamari and what I thought was a good effort as well. So she's definitely one to keep an eye out for if she ever gets some pace. Well, on the three-year-old landscape, one race that got a lot of people talking this last weekend was the fourth race at Oakland on Saturday, a maiden race for the three-year-olds going six furlongs as the Bob Baffert train following C came into Oaklawn and just destroyed a field of maidens. Uh, actually, this was the Run Happy show as uh, following C appears to be the most impressive son of Run Happy we've seen, and he beat maybe the second fastest son of Run Happy, Happy Mac, who was uh, a clear second in this race for Steve Asperson, but following C, he was the star here. I mean, he ran six furlongs almost as fast as CZ Rocket did in the Count Fleet. Yeah, and he did it going a lot faster early on, so he got a little bit of a pace upgrade as well, which led to a 123 time form U.S. speed figure, which is obviously huge for a maiden. I mean, we've seen a few bigger over the years, but th this one has got to be a top 10, I would think, in the last five years. So huge effort from him. Uh, I'm not sure what the future holds for him, but certainly promising. I, I will say as far as the speed figure goes, it wasn't an easy day at Oakland between the slow pieces that we've already talked about. It was a drying out track, which started out, I, I think it was on the good side or uh, and was upgraded just before this race. But looking at all the other races, the numbers didn't really seem to indicate that the track changed very much. It was consistent all day. And this one just stuck out like a sore thumb. So I, I didn't want to just arbitrarily downgrade it because it looked too fast because the races before and after all fit. So it, it, with lightly raced maidens like this, I, I tend to go with the clock. 
Yeah, this is one that didn't surprise me very much, that following C took this big step forward. I remember going back to the beginning of the year when Bezos was getting all of that hype for Bob Baffert based on some of his workouts. And uh, I like to just go on uh, XBTV where they have all those workout videos and look at some of the works from California sometimes to see who's upcoming in these maiden races. And... Uh, while I was looking at Bezos's workouts, the Bob Baffert runner that really caught my eye earlier in the year was this horse following C. I think before they even had named him, he was just some random son of Run Happy. Uh, but he looked like just a beast in those early season workouts. And obviously the secret was out when he made his debut. He got bet down to four to five in that Santa Anita Baden race. Um, we didn't quite see the best of him there. He was one of those Bob Baffert horses that needed to work out some things in that first career start. But he really put it all together here, taking a big step forward, just showed such easier early speed coming around the far turn as he just really strung out that field when they got to the quarter pole. And I mean, I have no problem with the speed figure because Happy Mac, who was second here, he had run a 106 as a two-year-old. So it makes sense that in those five or six months since then, he could have taken a step forward of seven points. He got a 113 here, actually the same 106 final time number. So this speed figure, at least to me, checks out. And following C, I, I wouldn't view him as a horse that we're going to see going too much longer in the future because as a son of Run Happy, his dam's a half-sister to that other Bob Baffert sprinter Kahira, an older mare in his barn. So um, definitely a horse that looks like he's bound for sprint races, but he's one that could be a major player in grade ones like the Woody Stevens or the H. Allen Jerkins over the summer at Saratoga. We'll see what Bob Baffert tries to do with him, but he does seem like a horse that has that kind of talent. Yeah, I mean, we need to keep in mind a horse like CZ Rocket ran a 121. So I'm not saying if these two were to meet up anytime soon that he could handle a horse like CZ Rocket. Is obviously the dynamics of a race can change things a bit, but he certainly got the talent to be a major player in the sprint division. One more race to talk about at Oaklawn Park before we move on to some other venues. That was an allowance race from Sunday. Just a performance that caught my eye because it's a little unusual to see a mile and a half race get a fast speed figure. Actually, a mile and a half dirt race to be specific. Uh, this was an allowance event later in the day where Lone Rock, who was, I think, making his second or third start off the claim for Robertino Diodoro, has really blossomed since they stretched out to these marathon distances. And he stalked a fast pace and just kept on going this demanding distance. Yeah, he seems to be on the improve. He got a 118 time form U.S. speed figure for this win after he had run the mile and a half on Rebel Day when I was there and, and looked for all the world like he was going to win easily and just kind of hung late. But there was no such hang in him this time as he was just able to, to easily handle this field. So unfortunately, there's not a ton of opportunities at a mile and a half, but I would imagine his trainer will be seeking them out going forward because this horse looks like the real deal at the longer distance. Uh, it's not like he's some deep closer who needs a hot pace, but he can stay up there on the pace and, and fairly close to it and just fire through the lane. So it looks, looks like a quality, I, I hate to use the term marathon because this would never be considered a marathon everywhere else. But here in the States, a mile and a half on the dirt definitely is. So looks like he's found his niche. Yeah, he's a horse that I think has been difficult for prior connections to figure out. I know he was in Bill Mott's barn for a while last year when he was with, uh, I think he was originally a short-leaf stable horse, and they were trying him in one turn race as Bill Mott was, I think, running him as, as uh, short as six and a half furlongs a few times, and he was actually somewhat successful as a closing sprinter, but uh, these longer races where he can use his tactical speed to just kind of wear down his foes, it seems like that's what he really likes to do now. So I don't know if they're going to target a race like the Brooklyn on Belmont because there aren't that many big pots out there for the dirt marathoners. So I think you want to take advantage of the ones that are coming up on the calendar. We'll see, but I don't really know what that division looks like right now across the country, but he definitely seems like one of the most talented players out there. Let's move on to Keeneland, where they ran that derby prep in the Lexington. But before we get to that, let's talk about some of the grade one turf action that was run there last weekend, beginning with the grade one Makers Mark Mile on Friday. And this was arguably the most impressive performance of the weekend as Raging Bull, who has been brilliant at times and a disappointment at others. Well, he had his running shoes on on Friday as he took the lead early coming off the far turn and just basically coasted home over a pretty nice field of turf horses. Yeah, this was uh, impressive. He got a 128 time form U.S. speed figure, which was definitely the fastest race of the weekend and or the whole week, obviously. And uh, 
just really solid effort. No knocks at all. Uh, even uh, his rider, I read Ortiz, said maybe he had moved him a little early. Uh, I don't know if I buy that because had he not moved, there's always a possibility he was going to get boxed in. So I personally thought it was the, the perfectly timed move, but he just proved he was much the best. He opened up two and, and nobody was gaining on him. I mean, Ryder Comet ran a nice race to come from dead last early, uh, but he was never really a threat to the winner at any point. So big effort from him, and maybe he's finally putting it all together and is going to be a top horse in the division because the speed figure would certainly seem to indicate that. Yeah, I would say Irad moved when he had to move on this horse because Raging Bull just placed himself a little bit closer to the pace than he has in some past starts where, I mean, there were races last year where he was outrun by 15 or 20 lengths in the early going, and he was much closer to the to the pace in mid-pack this time. And uh, when the horse puts you there, you just kind of have to go with it. And Irad allowed this horse to move when it seemed like he was ready to move coming around the far turn. And with an inferior horse, sometimes you can be susceptible to a late run from a quality closer. And there were some qualities quality closers in this race, but Raging Bull, he was superior to his uh, competition because he just kept going on the front end. And that 128 time formula speed figure, if he can keep delivering performances like that, he's probably going to win the Breeders' Cup mile and be a champion this year. The problem is Raging Bull has posted big efforts like this before and not always run back to them. We'll see. Maybe as a six-year-old, he's going to have a little more consistency, but uh, this was a really exciting, impressive performance. Yeah, that's what I always say why I've, I've really grown to like the turf division over the years because you get to really know these horses, which we don't always see on dirt. I mean, he's run, I think, 18 times now and no signs of slowing down. And I would imagine we'll see him another four or five times in big races this year. Yeah, the others, I mean, the horses that finished directly behind him, they were just picking up pieces. The one horse that I think might have run pretty well in this race and uh, could fly under the radar in the future is Field Pass because he was placed a little bit ahead of Raging Bull early, made a wider move than him around the far turn, and was just beaten a length for second in this race. And uh, he got a bit of a pace upgrade to get the second highest time form U.S. speed figure here. But he's a horse that seems like maybe he took a big step forward. I, I think he's four years old now. Uh, so he's won being in the Mike Maker barn uh, that you might want to follow in some tougher races moving forward. The other grade one that was run at Keeneland last week was the Jenny Wiley on the turf, this one going a mile and a 16th on Saturday. And there was a lot of rain that fell on that Saturday card at Keeneland. So we had a yielding turf course for this race, but didn't seem to bother the winner, Juliet Foxtrot, who we talked about it on the forecast last week, just had such a significant pace advantage in this race. And they doled out her speed properly on the front end. She had some separation coming around the far turn and nobody else could really ever get close to her. Yeah, this race was was pretty much over um, early on as she didn't get challenged. Not not that it was a huge surprise because there wasn't anything on paper that said they could challenge her. And when she gets that kind of trip, she's going to run a big number, which she did here. She got a 124 time form U.S. speed figure for the win. Um, you know, I don't know if she's one that, that I would bank on repeating that unless she got similar scenario next time where it was a race with no speed once again. But she handled the yielding course as she has done in the past. And in this case, it definitely was yielding according to our Time Form U.S. track condition ratings. We gave it a six, uh, which is right where the yielding goes. Normally, when you get down to four and five, it's more a soft, but seems like this was a good label to me. She'd handled it before and just everything went her way here. So a really good effort. I'm not going to get super excited about it and would even be one I'd, I'd look to beat if she was in a race with more speed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I do want to give some credit to Tyler Gaffleone, who arguably didn't have the toughest assignment here riding the lone speed, but I liked the way that he rode her because he pushed the button pretty early coming around the far turn, and you can see the time form U.S. pace figures when they really picked it up between the second and third call, and you want to do that when you're riding a speed horse. You want to spread out the field before you get to the top of the stretch, and you don't want to let everybody else into the race, and he didn't do that here. He took uh, advantage coming into the stretch, and the others were already off the, the bridle by the time they got to the 
three sixteenths pole. Uh, Tama here, who was second, she finally did run a faster speed figure for Chad Brown. This is a horse that's had taken a lot of support in all three of her U.S. starts so far. Um, she had run some slower speed figures last year as a three-year-old. She ran a little faster here, but she was supposed to like this yielding turf course. She had shown a real affinity for softer and yielding going in Europe last year, so she ran fine, but just wasn't quite as good as Juliet Foxtrot on this occasion. The others, a little disappointing. Micheline, uh, she was last year, just seemed like one that really didn't handle the going, so I might give her a pass for this race. Yeah, it's a good point about Tama here. I, I would be leery of assuming she'd run back to this race on a more firm tor- turf course. And I really like what you said about the pace with Julie X Fo- Foxtrot. This is the kind of ride that I want to see when I have a speed horse. One that not necessarily, you don't want to go too fast and get what we will label red fractions in time form U.S. But I don't particularly want to see the dawdling, slow, blue kind of fractions either where you leave everybody in the race and have to outkick them. So, yeah, he was riding the horse that eventually wound up being the favorite in the betting. But that doesn't mean you can't give a good ride just because you're on the favorite. Now, I thought he really did. Well, that other Kentucky Derby prep that we mentioned at the top of the show, the grade three Lexington, only offering 20 uh, qualifying points to the winner of the race. And that's not even enough these days to get into the Kentucky Derby. So we're unlikely to see King Fury, who won the Lexington in the starting gate on the first Saturday in May. Uh, But this was a race that I think we have to discuss from a pace standpoint, because they were absolutely flying up front. And no surprise in that situation that the two horses who were last and second to last at the first call were first and second across the finish line. Yeah, this was, uh, I mean, the the Arkansas Derby had a fast pace and is coated in red, but if we had a brighter red, we would use it here because the opening quarter mile was in the 160s. I think it was a 164 or 165. Uh, It was Noble Reflection and Swiftsure up on the front end, uh, just battling it out and setting it up for the closers. And you can see just by the... uh, where the early runners were, where they finished, and where the winner and the second-place horse came from. This was a total meltdown, unlike the Arkansas Derby. Uh, 117 time form U.S. speed figure for the winner is pretty solid. I mean, there's nothing to say he couldn't fit in the Derby. He just doesn't have enough points to get in, and it's almost a shame because this was his first start since his two-year-old season. So maybe that would be throwing him to the wolves a little bit. But on a talent uh, scale... He probably fits based on that speed figure. But again, I do think it was aided quite a bit by the, the pace setup that he got. Um, I know both of us like Noble Reflection coming into this race. I don't think either of us thought he was going to get bet down all the way to 9-2. to two, But I'm not ready to write the horse off, off of this performance. Maybe he's just a sprinter in the end. But he virtually had no chance when he had to go that fast to secure the lead. Yeah, this is a situation where I think this speed figure of 117 was really a function of the fact that they went so quickly on the front end. A lot of times when uh, some races are not ridden this aggressively on the same card and you get a race where they just go all out on the lead, you will get some closers running faster speed figures than they typically would be able to in a more moderately paced race. And I think we saw that from both King Fury and Unbridled Honor, who I'm not going to necessarily rely on either of these horses, who both took huge jump ups off their prior form of something like 15 points each of them improved by to get a 117 and 114 respectively here i'm not going to rely on them to run those numbers back in a more moderately paced race i just think that they got the perfect scenario here to run a fast speed figure for a couple horses that don't have a lot of early speed but king fury he does have a nice pedigree he's by curlin his damn taris was a grade one winning sprinter i think she won uh, what was uh, formerly called the Humanitas Staff on Derby Day a few years ago. So he's bred to be a nice runner and seems to be putting it all together as a three-year-old. I just am not sure that I necessarily rank this race, um, along with some other derby preps, as highly as the speed figure would indicate. Yeah, Taris was a heck of a horse. She ran some huge speed figures, if memory serves. So he certainly has the breeding here. Uh, The obvious disappointment in this race had to be Proxy. Uh, He was actually pretty far back as well, and, and he just had very little run late. And he essentially ran the same speed figure he was running in Louisiana. So that's something I was keeping an eye on because uh, we had talked about some of those races where we're a little bit shaky as far as speed figure making. But so far, uh, he would seem to point that they were pretty spot on because it, it was not a good effort at all from him. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I guess you could argue that maybe Proxy is going in the wrong direction over appearing to improve earlier in the year. But uh, you make a good point that he basically just ran consistent speed figures all the way through. So that uh, does point to the fact that you guys, uh, you and your colleague, made probably the correct decisions about, especially the Risen Star, which was a difficult call in the Louisiana Derby last time. So uh, we can probably rely on those numbers moving forward to the first Saturday in May with those, because there are a number of runners coming out of that Louisiana path to the Kentucky Derby. And I just want to basically echo what you said about Noble Reflection. I completely agree. This horse, while he's got the pedigree to go longer, maybe he's just not ready for it right now. And I'd love to see him turn back into a sprint or an elongated sprint, maybe even a one-turn mile in the future, because I do think this horse still has talent. This was just a situation where it was basically impossible for him to be successful. Another route race that was run on Saturday on the dirt at Keeneland was the Grade 3 Ben Ally for the older horses. And this is one that was exciting down to the finish, at least for, uh, to watch, because you had five horses in a five-horse field that were strong across the track, seemingly all in with a chance to win at the eighth pole. And it was the likable older gelding Silver Dust who was just able to gut out the victory. Yeah, and normally when you say uh, five horses basically across the wire at the end, it tells you it wasn't a very good race, and that was probably the case here. Uh, 117 for the winner, uh, a 116 for the next four horses, and for a grade three, that's definitely on the low scale. Uh, I'm a Silver Dust fan. Uh, I thought he ran just fine in here, but I'm not going to get too excited about this race. I, I don't think we saw any horses ready to to jump up and run in like the Alachibo and Derby Day. I mean, maybe they'll be there. It depends who shows up, but I wouldn't be too excited about betting any of them. Yeah, I have similar feelings to you. It didn't look like the strongest race coming in, and Silver Dust, while he's won a number of these races in the past, these grade three and listed stakes races, he's typically not running very fast speed figures when he does win, so when you see Silver Dust get the money in races like this, it typically is a little bit of an indictment of the rest of the field. And Silver Dust, I mean, make no mistake, he was best, because he didn't even break in this race. He was he hopped at the start, was off a little slowly, had to rush up into position, and he still won the race, so uh, I'm just not really sure that I'd want anybody out of, out of this moving forward. I mean, the funniest thing to me in this race, looking at the uh, the Time Form US chart, is that everybody got almost the same speed figure. A Silver just got a 117, and everybody else got a 116. I'm not sure if there's ever been a race where every horse in the race has gotten the same speed figure, but this one came pretty close. Yeah, the only time I've seen that is where I screwed up and made a mistake <laughs> in the data and uploaded a couple times way back in the early days of Time Form US, and all the horses had the same number, but if for as far as it actually happening, no, I, I don't think that's happened ever. So, it interesting race. Uh, I was really surprised that that Night Ops went off at four to five. I, I made a tweet on Twitter, uh, just saying I, I was trying to think of a circumstance where I would bet Night Ops at, at three to five, which he was at the time, and I just couldn't come up with it. I mean, he's a solid enough horse, but it, it kind of told you the kind of field you were dealing with, and he actually looked totally beaten turning for home and somehow got up for second and he's just a grinder that always seems to run his race but uh, he's not for me yeah it definitely looked like a more evenly matched field than that and it certainly played out that way on the racetrack well before we move on to our final venue there are few allowance and maiden races that took place last week at Keeneland that are probably worth mentioning. One of those was a Friday allowance, won by the older filly Spices Nice for Todd Pletcher. Uh, this is a filly who, in her three-year-old season last year, had showed promise at different points. She was a fast allowance winner at Belmont. Uh, was coming off a really disappointing non-effort in the Alabama last year, when I think she was the second choice behind Swiss Skydiver. But she made a return here as a four-year-old, and really did everything right off the layoff. This was not a race that featured much pace, turned into a sprint to the wire, and she was really rolling when they crossed that first finish line. Yeah, she she looked really good in here. She was a horse, as you said, that we had talked about on, on the pace cast and the forecast a number of times last year because she was uh, in some pretty big races. Uh, the, the Gulfstream Oaks, Devona Dale showed up in Alabama, and she ran so bad in the Alabama and it had a long layoff. You have to think something went wrong, but it looks like whatever it was, Todd Pletcher got it straightened out because she came back with a vengeance. She got a nice 116 time form U.S. speed figure. She did it in a race without a ton of pace uh, at a track and 
setup at the, the mile and the 16th distance that really isn't conducive to a, a big filly like her, but she got it done anyway. So I think she she's looking for a big year if Todd can keep her together. And I didn't see anything on Friday that would make me think he couldn't. So really nice effort, in my opinion. Yeah, the big knock on her in the past had been that she hadn't really run that breakout high speed figure, and she might have done it here. I mean, the 119 final time number for this race is pretty good for the Phillies and Mares. We'll talk about a stakes race in this division a little bit later that went slower than this. So she certainly seems like a horse that could be a player later in the year in some of the big races, and this was only going a mile on the 16th, and I agree with you, Craig. The kind of big horse that she is, being a daughter of Curlin, you think that she could go longer in the future. I know Todd Pletcher was really looking forward to running her a mile and a quarter in the Alabama last year. Obviously, that didn't work out, but it's not because she didn't get the distance. I mean, she just was not herself that day. And if she's in form this year and they try longer distances again, I wouldn't be surprised if she could produce that kind of breakout performance against Graded Stakes Company. So she's definitely one that I'm looking forward to in some tougher races later in the year. Another allowance race with a Todd Pletcher trained winner that we saw last week at Keeneland was a Thursday allowance going a mile and an eighth as the three-year-old promise keeper coming out of the Tampa Bay Derby got the job done. Uh, This is a horse who had not shown this kind of talent before. I mean, he looked pretty good winning a maiden race in the slop at Gulfstream earlier in the year, but his prior stakes test in that Tampa Bay Derby was a total disaster. But in this race, he just looked like a completely different horse and one that might be blossoming at the right time for Todd Pletcher. Yeah, he was one I remember us dismissing in the Tampa Derby, and he didn't run that day. He was coming off a big maiden win, but he only got a 99 time form U.S. speed figure. So he looked a bit against it that day, but man, did he rebound here. Uh, he just looked really professional. He sat just a little bit off the pace, and when he turned from home, he he just exploded, got a 112 time form U.S. speed figure. So Big effort from him. Uh, I will look for for some more improvement. I hope he's not thrown to the wolves too quickly because he looks like one you need to take some time with. But I liked what I saw on, uh, I think it was Thursday, you said. Yeah, this was going a mile and an eighth, and that's often a pretty tough test of stamina for the three-year-olds in the April of their, this season, and uh, he handled it well. I mean, he was finishing really strong at the end of this race, and he didn't even break that well. I mean, coming out of the, the number one uh, gate closest to the rail. He actually, it looked like he stumbled a little bit or just took a stutter step start. It was hard to tell, uh, but he was off about two lengths slowly in this race and had to rush up to get into that stalking position. And once uh, Louis Sayas tipped him to the outside coming around the far turn, as you said, he really exploded. And he's got one of those uh, strides where he really lowers his head to the ground and extends his legs. He's just has a nice way of finishing to him, like one that is the kind of galloper that can run all day. So I wonder if this is the kind of horse that Todd Pletcher might peg for a race like the Belmont Stakes, I think maybe the Peter Pan at Belmont might be a logical next step for him. So maybe that's a potential path for this horse moving forward, but definitely one that seems like he's figuring things out. In addition to those allowance races, there were a couple of impressive maiden winners uh, in the three-year-old division last week at Keeneland. One of those was the winner of the last race on Saturday as Stage Raider, the younger half-brother to Justify, won his second career start. He had lost his debut to Prevalence uh, earlier in the year at Gulfstream, was a distant second behind that horse, maybe a little bit disappointing in that performance, uh, but he really put it together in the second start for Chad Brown in the slop as he showed good speed on the backstretch. Fell back a little bit on the turn, but once Irad asked the question at the quarter poll, I mean, he just rocketed away from this field. Yeah, this was definitely a big effort. He got a 110 time form U.S. speed figure for the win. Uh, I do think you got to worry a little bit that maybe it was a slop, but everything looked good to me, and he took a big step forward in the second start. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where he shows up if. Chad Brown moves him into a stakes race, which that figure certainly says he would fit or is a little more patient with him. But good effort. I just have a little bit of reservation because of the sloppy track. Yeah, nice stride on this horse. Uh, He looks like a horse with some scope to him, and he certainly bred to go longer being a son of Pioneer of the Nile. I mean, those progeny of that sire, they typically do want to go two turns, and being that he's a half-brother to Justify, who did have a real stamina-laden female family, uh, even though he was a son of Scat Daddy, he got those longer distances. So Stage Raider definitely bred to go longer. So I'll be interested to see when Chad Brown decides to stretch him out, but this was certainly an encouraging uh, maiden victory. 
We saw a similar performance from a three-year-old filly on Friday as Caramel Swirl didn't run quite as fast as Stage Raider, but still won very impressively going the same seven furlong distance, uh, opening up a 10-length gap on her rivals. This was a win in the fifth career start for this filly, but I think Bill Mott has figured out that she probably is a one-turn dirt horse after trying a few different things. They went long on the turf, long on the dirt. I think they they finally got her back in the right kind of races. Yeah, this was solid enough effort from her. She basically ran the same speed figure she's been running. Uh, so good effort from her. Uh, I'll leave more to you where she goes. You say, do you think she's a dirt sprinter? I'm certainly not going to argue that looking at her PPs. She didn't seem to take the turf. And I would think an elongated sprint like this is probably best. Uh, the, the seven furlongs, maybe if they get one of those about seven furlong and maybe even a one turn mile, but that would probably be pushing the limit for me. Yeah, I know this is a race that probably came up a little bit slower than one that you would probably typically pick to talk about with her just getting a 100 time form US speed figure. But the final time number of 107 came back higher. And this is one where I think this is I, I would look more to the final time number than the time form US speed figure because she wasn't on the lead. So it's not like she was benefiting from the slow pace. And this was a pretty slow pace for seven furlongs. She actually closed into that pace a little bit and just ran away from the field. So this is one where I wouldn't put too much stock in the, the downgrade that she gets from her final time number. And she finished up really strongly. And I'm highlighting her because she had shown so much promise early in her career. Her first two sprint races, she lost to Malathot and Miss Brazil, uh, the latter of which is a very talented sprinter for, for Tony Dutrow. The former is probably going to be the favorite in the Kentucky Oaks. So she showed a lot of promise as a two-year-old, just seemed like she never took that step forward when they tried different things. And I think she ran better in this race than the speed figure would indicate, just given how easily she won and i'd look for her to take a bigger step forward against winners next time yeah i could definitely buy that argument and i'd have to say just looking at the equipment changes she took the blinkers off which which obviously you have to think maybe it had a, a help gave her a helping hand because this was her best race to date uh speed figures uh you know even if you're just ignoring the speed figures which i think you can because of the slow pace Let's finish things up this week at Aqueduct, where they ran a few stakes races last weekend, including a couple on the turf, beginning with the Dangers Hour, their feature on the Saturday card. That was going a mile on the grass, and it was won by the enigmatic Delaware for Chad Brown. This is a horse that had to be really frustrating for Chad Brown because he had shown promise in Europe, this son of Frankel, and just seemed like he could never figure it out last year. When he got good trips, he didn't seal the deal. In plenty of other races, he got poor trips and was certainly coming off one of those in the Tampa Bay Stakes last time, but Manny Franco was able to work out the right trip for him here. And once he uh, got out into the clear at the quarter pole in this race, he absolutely mowed down this field. Heck with feeling for Chad Brown. You got a feel for me. I can't tell you how many times I picked or bet this horse. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't this time. Uh, I will admit I didn't focus on Aqueduct very much, and I had kind of forgotten about his terrible trip last time at Tampa. So the race certainly made sense. He ran back to the 120 speed figure he had run three starts ago, and looks like he's going in, in the right direction. Uh he was probably flattered a little bit by the, the pretty weak field as his two main competitors didn't really show up here and analyze it and decorate it in Vader. Uh, I thought Rinaldi ran fine to be second. I uh, looked like a winner turning for home, and it was impressive that Delaware was able to run him down. But this was more a grade three quality race, and maybe that's just where Delaware belonged. Yeah, I'm not going to make mistake Delaware for one of the top turf horses in Chad Brown's barn, but this was a visually impressive turn of foot that he displayed and much more effective than the finishing kicks that he had shown in some races last year where he had certainly gotten close to winning, but it seemed like he would get there and not really finish off his race as the final 16th. That was not the case here. He actually lengthened his stride in the final 16th of a mile to get up. So I like this performance. And as you said, Rinaldi ran really well to be second here. I love the ride from Trevor McCarthy, who just took no prisoners on the front end he looked like the lone speed but he really tried to open up on this field coming around the far turn and it almost worked out he definitely ran the best speed figure of his career to to be second here uh but uh the others as you said decorated invader and analyze at the two favorites they just didn't really show up i mean decorated invader had never run that fast as a three-year-old was kind of a disappointment at the end of last year. And I know a lot of people expected him to take a step forward as a four-year-old. Well, it didn't happen in this race. And analyze it, 
just seems like he might be past his prime these days. He It was debatable whether he really came back in top form last year, and it seems like he's regressed since then. <clears throat> the other turf stakes that we saw last week at Aqueduct was the Plenty of Grace for the Phillies and Mares, and this one was again run by a Chad Brown-trained runner on Regal Glory. This uh, had been a Paul Pompa runner last year, but obviously, unfortunately, with his passing late last year, he's, his runners were all dispersed in the sale, and Peter Brandt bought this one for $925,000, and uh, we'll see what she can do later this year against Graded Stakes Company, but this was certainly a good start to her four-year-old campaign. <laughs> Yeah, this was a, a big effort off the layoff. She got a 121 time form U.S. speed figure. I, I like the way she did it. She was able to sit off of a, a pretty moderate pace and, and just get, get up through the lane, and she really closed fast. Uh, that's why she got such a nice speed figure. It was upgraded from her 116 final time to that 121. So it looked like she returned in top form, as so many of Chad Brown runners do. And at the age of five, uh, there's no reason they expect she – she won't keep right on going running those kind of numbers. Yeah, I misspoke. You're right. She's five years old, not four years old. Um, but uh, definitely a horse that's been lightly raced over the years. Uh, Chad Brown's picked her spots kind of carefully, uh, but she's run under a variety of circumstances. Definitely appears to be one who is meant to be a miler. I know Chad Brown had said that they were pointing to the matriarch last year, and obviously with that ownership change, they had to reverse course a little bit and lay her up for a while. So this was her first start in a while, but she definitely ran well. As you said, the 121, a strong speed figure, even though she only won this race by a half length over a long shot platinum painter i think trips had a lot to do with the narrow margin of victory she was wide on both turns a little keen early and i would fully anticipate that she takes a step forward off this the other stakes race that was run last weekend at Aqueduct was the top flight for the older Phillies and Mares going a mile and an eighth on the dirt. And Horologist, who was the winner of the Bell Dame last year, the third place finisher in the La Trienne behind Monomoy Girl back on Derby weekend of, uh, of 2020. Well, she made her, I think, five-year-old debut here, I want to say, and she ran pretty well to win this race over a couple of seasoned, or nice fillies and Mrs. Danvers and Lucky Stride, who was third here. Not the fastest race in the world, but obviously just a starting point coming off the layoff for Horologist. Yeah, this was a fun race to watch. I mean, these two threw it down in the lane. I thought Mrs. Danvers was really game to fight on, but clashed this one out. Uh, both of the top two ran a 112 time form U.S. speed figure. Uh, Lucky Stride in third got a 111. So I was a little surprised. I thought watching the race, it was going to come back a little bit faster. But as you mentioned, Horologist has run faster many times in her career. And I see no reason to think she wouldn't uh, improve some off of this start coming going forward. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that mile and an eighth at Aqueduct can be a demanding distance for any horse coming off a layoff. And that probably is as far as horologist wants to go, even on her best day. So um, I thought it was a decent effort for her. And Mrs. Danvers, as you said, a game effort for her to be second. She's never really run back to that comely performance from last year when she probably got the best of it on the front end that day and some other horses maybe didn't get the best rides or trips. Uh, but still, a nice way to bounce back for her after a disappointing showing at Gulfstream Park over the winter. Couple more races to discuss from Aqueduct last week. One of those was a Friday allowance race on the turf going uh, a mile and a 16th. And this is one where pace had a lot to do with the outcome. Chad Brown, Todd Pletcher, Mike Maker all had some nice horses in this race, but really the slow pace spelled out who was going to win this race. And that was the case as Winters back under Kendrick Carmouche got to the front end, slowed things down, and the others just couldn't really get into the race behind him. Yeah, th this was a crawl of a pace. The early pace figures were in the low 80s, uh, 82 for winners back at the half mile. And from there, I mean, it was just a procession to the wire. There was nobody, no way anybody was going to make up any ground. Our final time figure was only a 104 for this race. That That's largely because of that pace. We actually upgraded that with the P notation up to a 117, which is generally what Winter's back always runs, and the ones all behind fit as well. So that's why we went with that. Uh, not sure what to make of this race going forward, other than I guess I'd give an excuse to the ones in the back, although nobody did any running whatsoever. So it's a really confusing race going forward for me. 
Yeah, the horse that I think is a tough call coming out of this race is Good Governance, who was a little keen in the early going. He does have tactical speed, but I know Chad Brown just never wants these horses to be on the front end. So they tried, Manny Franco tried his hardest to get this horse off the pace, and he ended up going three to four wide around both turns. When you're in a situation where you've got a horse on the rail setting a slow pace, I mean, you don't want to be off the pace, and you also don't want to be wide on the turns, and Good Governance was. I still think Good Governance didn't really finish off this race, and for a horse that had shown such promise early in his career just seems like he hasn't really taken that step forward as he's gotten older so i'm not sure really how i want to regard him moving forward uh maybe i'd give him another chance if he's in another allowance race like this but i'm not sure that he's really going to be great at stakes quality one more race to discuss from last week at Aqueduct, and actually another maiden race for the three-year-olds. We talked about a few of those at Keeneland, and we saw another fast maiden winner on Sunday at Aqueduct, as always, Karina won the first race of the day in the slop for Chad Brown. Uh, this is a filly who had trained well at Saratoga last summer, had been off for a long time, finally made her uh, return to trading and made her initial start this past Sunday at Aqueduct, and it was worth the wait because she ran a pretty fast race in here. Yeah, she got a 114 time form U.S. speed figure for the win. Uh, it's always a little bit tricky when it's the first race of the day on an off track. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to bet my life on it that this speed figure is dead accurate. But the track was really consistent uh, for the entirety of the race card. So I really had nothing else to go on. And given the way she won, there's no real reason to think it wasn't a fast race. So I'm pretty confident that 114 time form U.S. speed figure and look forward to see what she can do from here. I would like to hear your thoughts on, you know, her distance capabilities and what you think, how far she could go based on her breeding. But absolutely nothing wrong with this effort for sure and seemed to be worth the wait. Yeah, from a pedigree standpoint, it's uh, interesting. She's by Malibu Moon, uh, but she's actually the younger half-sister Destructor, who was Chad Brown's Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf winner from a few years ago. Though it seems like Chad Brown has had the intention to run, th run this one on the dirt, because I remember last summer at Saratoga, I think she was entered in a maiden race on forego day the penultimate weekend of the meet and that was that day where there was that deluge at saratoga um races off the turf even the races that were run on the main track run over that extremely sloppy surface and chad brown had a couple of horses entered in a maiden race late on the card and he scratched both of them one of those was always karina um and took her a long time to get back to the entry box after that uh it seemed like she was out of training for a while but i remember last summer she had worked really well into that race i think one of her workouts was a gate work uh where she was heads up and perhaps even a touch better than that uh, Philly uh, Zana Larab, a Chadwell horse that won impressively for Chad Brown at Belmont in the fall. Not sure whatever happened to her, but she looked like one with talent and always Karina also has plenty of talent. I wonder what she'll ultimately want to do with regard to distance. Obviously, her pedigree says she could go longer, but she showed so much natural speed in this race. I'd imagine they'd have to stick with sprinting for now, but uh, she definitely showed ability. I'd also pay attention to the runner-up in here, Amendment 19, a nice name for a daughter of Constitution. Uh, for a horse from the Linda Rice barn, this was an unusually strong debut for a, a barn that really doesn't have them cranked up to win first time out, and she was finishing up really well at the end of this race. So that's one that I would expect would expect to take a big step forward next time. Yeah, and uh, even the third place finisher who got a nice figure pressing, uh, always Karina, ran a 106. She was a, a pretty high dollar purchase making her debut. So I, I look forward to her as well. Uh, one horse I'm going to throw before before we wrap it up, kind of throw you a curveball because I, I meant to include this horse and forgot was the race of pocket square at Keeneland, I believe it was on Wednesday. So a while, while, uh, while back, she shipped in for Chad Brown to Keeneland. Uh, she ran a nice 114 speed figure, uh, did it from the 11 post, got a pretty good trip from out there, but she was wide all the way. So I think this is one worth watching. I apologize for forgetting to send it on to you, but was wondering if you caught that race and what you thought of it. Cause she looked like a, a graded stakes type filly to me. I did watch that race, and she was definitely impressive under Irad. Uh, I mean, he had to ride her a little bit in upper stretch, but when she got clear, she won pretty handily in the end. I mean, I'm not sure how strong that field was overall. The runner-up tuned for Graham Motion. Uh, she's a horse that we've been seeing a lot in these allowance races over the past year or so, and she's just she just seems like one of those horses that can't quite break through. So I wonder if she was really beating much here, but she seems like a horse that has a nice turn of foot on her, and she reminds me a lot of that horse Flighty Lady that we just saw when it 
Midnight Aqueduct last week for Chad Brown. Um, both horses ran similar speed figures. I think Flighty Lady got a 115. You said Pocket Square got a 114, I believe. So um, they, they, they're certainly numbers that uh, could improve a little bit if they take uh, move into Graded Stakes Company next time. And Chad Brown, it seems like every spring he comes out with some new European imports that move on to Graded Stakes races. And it's sort of a changing of the guard in the Chad Brown barn with these uh, European shippers. So I wonder which ones will move on to those graded stakes events, but it certainly seems like he's got a deep bench of those older fillies and mares. Yeah, I said she could move on to graded stakes, and she actually already won a group three in France uh, earlier in a career as a two-year-old. So certainly some talent there. I do agree with it. The field wasn't the strongest, but it was just given the ground loss and the way she won. Uh, I just thought she, she looked really good. So one to watch for sure for me. Well, that's all the racing to recap for this week. I think this will be our last really major weekend of racing with a lot of stakes action across the country for a little while until we get to that Kentucky Derby weekend in, well, just three weeks from now because uh, all the preps are done. Uh, just, uh, what is it, 18 days until the Kentucky Derby? It's hard to believe it's already upon us. So Craig and I will probably reserve a podcast to do a Derby preview at some point. Uh, I know we've touched upon all these contenders as we wrap up these prep races as they've come at us, uh, but we'll kind of try to put all the pieces together on a future podcast and I, I think we'll have a time form us pace projector coming out for the race pretty soon before the field is set just to see how the pace is going to shake out so I'm sure we'll discuss that as well uh, when that's ready so a lot to look forward to on the derby front and a lot to look forward to just in general in the racing world as we move on into the spring. As always, you can listen to us on DRF.com, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Remember to subscribe to the Daily Racing Form channel to listen to both of these podcasts in the future. And we'll be back with that Time Form US forecast where we do some handicapping on this upcoming Friday. So thanks for listening this week and make sure to stay tuned for that Time Form US forecast in a few days.